visiting, my name is Jerry. I am the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, I have been so excited to be with all of you in worship together today to share that amazing news with you. It is so fun to be generous. And I want you to know our staff enjoyed representing all of you this week in our collective generosity. I feel a little guilty that we got to take those gifts to people and you didn't get to, but we love doing it on your behalf. And I just want to say, well done. If you noticed in the video, there was a moment where um, the lady, Nikki, is talking to one of the ladies and, and they thought we were just bringing breakfast. But Nikki said, well, I want you to know we've got gift cards, $100 gift cards to all of your staff members from the principal down to the librarian and everybody in between. And we got a list. We knew we got everybody. And the lady, the look on her face, she said, what? And she said, because of COVID, we're not allowed to hug, but I'm going to hug you right now. That was her immediate response, you guys. And we have gotten letters and emails and text messages. One of the, so Carmel Elementary, Carmel, Carmel Middle School, we had somebody come into our building Later that day, and they said, I work at the middle school. I just want to thank somebody. Who, who do I thank? And so we have been, it has been so exciting, so exciting. We've been praying for a partnership and ways to get into those schools. But I want to share two comments. One person, one of these workers went to our website and tracked down our email address so they could write this. I cannot thank your organization enough and greatly appreciate the generosity from this extremely kind gesture. My holidays will be much brighter thanks to this, and I know it made everyone's day here. And then this is what one of the uh, principals, vice principals, wrote us back. She just thought we were bringing breakfast. She said this, thank you so much for the kindness and generosity that you demonstrated towards our staff. Everyone was so happy to see the amazing breakfast and speechless with the generous gift cards. Our staff felt appreciated and truly supported in the work we do each day. I appreciate your partnership in the community and look forward to working with you for our kids. We are blessed to know you. May your kindness return tenfold. That is no strings attached generosity for the name of Jesus. And here's what's really cool. We're going to do it again this week. And I'll have a new story for you next week. And we're going to do it the week after that. And I'll have another story for you next week. And that doesn't even include our Christmas offering. And we're giving all of that away. It is an incredible privilege to be a part of a generous church that gives so that the name of Jesus can be made greater. So let's pray together. Father, your word tells us of your generosity. You love the world so much that you sent your son into this world. Jesus, you left the comforts of heaven. You were born here as a baby. You endured life as a man. You died in our place. There is no greater act of generosity. And we want to respond back by being generous so that your name is made greater. Generous so that people will find their way back to you. Not so they will praise Genesis, but they will say, I came in contact with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, would you please multiply those dollars? Would they, I pray that they would translate into salvations and baptisms and lives being saved. And if those people find their way back to worship with us here, that's great but we just want your name to be made greater. Holy Spirit, as we jump into your holy word today, would you please open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you want us to hear? Would you help us to be challenged to have faith that has substance? Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, how many of you have heard the phrase... Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You've heard that before, right? It's a common phrase. Here's another one. Give a man a fish and you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll eat forever, right? Those are common phrases. We hear those quoted, but can you figure out what they have in common? Here's another one. I like to use this one. Everybody loves this one. Better late than never. 
Better late than never, right? You probably used that a time or two. Here's another one. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Can you figure out what those four phrases have in common? They're all anonymous. We don't know who spoke them for the first time. We don't know where they originated. But what we do know is that people trust them and they quote them and they are repeated over and over and over and over again. Well, today we are going to continue our study and, and by, uh, through scripture from beginning to end by looking at the only anonymous book in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews. This is right before the book of James, right after the book of Philemon, towards the end of the New Testament. And as crazy as it sounds, we do not know for sure who wrote this powerful and amazing letter. Many people, I, when I read it, I thought, gosh, this sounds like something Paul would write. Many people believe that. But a lot of people believe that ah, might have been one of Paul's co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos. It's possible that this letter was written by a woman. We do not know for sure. It's totally anonymous. But here's what we do know. Whoever the writer is, they quoted the Old Testament almost 30 different times, which tells us they are referring back to the story of Israel, right? It's theologically based. But there's another reason we can trust this powerful word. It's because if you were to sum up the overall theme of the book of Hebrews, it would, it would look something like this. Jesus is greater. That's the primary theme of the whole book of Hebrews, which is the primary theme of all of scripture. Jesus is greater. And so the author's purpose in writing this letter is to elevate the status of Jesus as being superior and supreme to everyone, everything, everywhere, because he is God's promised Messiah who has come to pay for our sins and to restore us back to God. And as such, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of all of our worship and all of our trust and our attention and our loyalty and our generosity. But here's another interesting fact about the book of Hebrews. The author is anonymous and so is the audience that it was written to. We don't know specifically who it was written to. Now, New Testament uh, scholar William Lane says this. He notes that this letter was likely written to a small group of Christians, likely a small house church in Rome, okay, whose world was quickly falling apart. Lane says this, their faith in Jesus had proven not to be a worldly advantage for them, but rather had set them up for persecution and the loss of property, privilege, and would possibly even cost them their lives. That's not very encouraging for us today, is it? But it actually speaks to a secondary theme we found, we find in the book of, of Hebrews, and it's this, if Jesus is greater, hang on to Jesus and don't let go. I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is greater. Hang on to him and do not let go. And it's a critical reminder that we need to hear as followers of Jesus today because the way of Jesus is not popular. And every day it's becoming more and more opposed to quote Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to serve in Jesus's name. People, not only do they not like it, they get mean about it. They don't want to hear about it. And so I think the writer of Hebrews, I think this is what they're telling us. They're saying, hey, it's good to know and be aware of what's going on in the world around us, but do not live in fear. We are not to live in fear. We are to live in faith. We must live in faith because Jesus is our eternal king. He is a superior no matter what we face, no matter how hard life gets. He is going to be with you and he will help you to persevere. And that's a message of hope that we need to be reminded of but more importantly, it's a message of hope that our children and our grandchildren, they don't just need to hear it. They need to see us model it. 
so they know what it looks like. It has to move beyond something that we think in our minds. And so this is how the writer of Hebrews begins. Hebrews 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So right away, this unknown author tells us, by the way, I'm going to refer to this unknown author as Herb. I don't know what his name is. It's just easier to refer to Herb. Okay, so I'm going to refer a lot to Herb. Herb begins by referring back to Israel's history, saying that all throughout creation, God has revealed himself in a variety of ways. And think back to our Old Testament reading in all the ways God has revealed himself through visions and dreams and angels and burning bushes and prophets and even a talking donkey. This is how God has revealed himself. But look at what Herb says in verse two. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Herb is making it clear that right now, God is speaking to all humanity in one distinct way, and that is his son, who we know to be Jesus. And Herb points out he is the heir of all things because the entire universe was created by him. So let me put that in perspective. I did some reading this, uh, this week that said that our, our solar system, okay, is something like 7.5 billion miles wide, give or take a few miles. 7.5 billion with a B. And apparently someone somewhere, some mathlete added this up. If you wanted to travel that distance at 65 miles an hour, it would take you 13,000 years. It's huge. That's just our solar system. Our solar system is part of the Milky Way galaxy, which contains close to or near or over 100 billion planets. But here's what's really crazy. The Milky Way galaxy is one of 100 billion known galaxies. You know why that matters? Jesus created it all. He created it all. Everything that we know about and things that we don't even know about, he created it all. That's why he's greater. Now, I was feeling pretty good because I hung Christmas lights on, on our new gutters for the very first time this year. I got high up on a ladder. I was like, look at what I did, right? We, we tend to think, oh, I, we do amazing things. Jesus created it all. This is why he is greater. This is why he can be trusted. Look at what Herb says in verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for him, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we studied the books of Colossians and Philippians. But the writer of Hebrews is telling us Jesus, Jesus is not a, just a reflection or a symbol of God's glory. Jesus literally radiates with the glory of God because he is God. He is the exact representation of God because he is God. He is sustaining all things. All things are made by him, through him, and for him. He's provided purifications for our sins. And then I want you to hold on to this one. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When his time on earth was done, he sat down. We're going to talk about that in a moment. <clears throat> Herb doesn't just want to remind us, though, that, that Jesus is God. He actually wants to remind us of one of the greatest mysteries of our faith. Jesus is God in the flesh, God in the flesh. And Herb begins to unpack this for us. In Hebrews 2.17, he says this, for this reason, he, that's Jesus, had to be made like them, that's us. Now I want everybody to say this one with me, fully human in every way. Say it with me. Fully human in every way. You guys are already better than first service. 
Okay, keep that energy. Let's let that energy grow. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We're going to come back to this word later. In service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Now, theologians call this the hypostatic union. If you want to sound really smart this week, throw that phrase out there, hypostatic union. But really, here's what that means. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God in a bod. God in the flesh. I didn't use that first service. That's pretty funny. It's easy for us to think of Jesus being like Captain America or Captain Marvel. He looks human, but deep down, he's superhuman. He's just disguised as God. But there's a problem with that. If that's true, he cannot relate to me and you. But as a vulnerable human, Jesus experienced the roller coaster of emotions and all the experiences of life that make life what it is. And so the gospel writers teach us that Jesus was born just like all the rest of us. He was born as a baby to a woman, which means that he had sleepless nights. When Jesus was cutting teeth, he was probably unconsolable like our kids are, right? And as a baby, there's a very good chance that Mary and Joseph changed his diaper. And as they were laying him down for bed, he had a blowout and they had to do it all over again. You know why? He was a normal baby. He was just like all the rest of us. He had to learn to walk and he had to learn to talk. Luke tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature just like all of the rest of us, which means he wasn't a childhood prodigy. He didn't breeze through puberty. He's like us, zits and all. And it's safe to assume that on his life, life here on earth, he experienced things like toothaches and back, back aches and, and a gassy stomach, Right? All those things are like, I don't want to be human right now. He experienced every last bit of it so he could relate to us. And so the gospel writers tell us there's times when Jesus was hungry and he had to eat and he was thirsty and he had to drink. And when he was tired, guess what he had to do? He needed to sleep. There were times when Jesus rejoiced with his disciples because he was excited. There was another time that we know Jesus wept because a good friend of his died. There, was a time that Jesus, there were times when Jesus became very angry but he didn't sin in his anger. He showed us what that looked like. He never sinned. How many of you have ever been stabbed in the back by a really good friend? Jesus gets that. He actually had that happen to him. And the night that he was arrested, Jesus admitted in his own words to his closest followers, listen to this, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. They don't get much more human than that. And we've all been there. We've all been overwhelmed to the point of death. Jesus can relate to us, but you know what? Jesus' human existence did not end there. As Jesus went to the cross, the pain of his humanity was put on full display for us because he was beaten and he was whipped mercilessly, mercilessly. Then he was harassed and he was mocked and he was humiliated publicly. Many believe he may have been naked when that happened. And eventually his hands and feet were stretched out and they were nailed to a rugged wooden cross. He would have cried out in pain. He would have bled all over that cross. And then you know what happened? They hoisted that cross up and he sat there in agony for hours. And then just like every other human that's ever lived, he died. And they took his dead body down and they laid it in a tomb because he was dead. But praise God, he only stayed there for three days. And when he rose from the dead, he proved he is God in the flesh. He is God's promised Messiah, this is one of the most profound mysteries of our faith, and it should lead us to ask so many questions, but here's a really important question. 
Why would he be willing to endure all of that? What, what would motivate him to go through that? Surely there would be another way. Well, Herb tells us why. Hebrews 2.14, since the children, this is us, have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity. Say that with me. Come on, we can do better than that. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus became human to let us know, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. It makes him more approachable. It makes him more trustworthy. But more importantly, he shared in our humanity. That verse tells us he shared in our humanity. I had never seen this before to set us free from the power of death. Now, I don't ask for amens often in my message, but can I get an amen to that? Amen. amen. And that's not for me. That's for him. That's amazing. Just how many people are afraid of death? Go ahead and raise your hand, everybody. We're afraid of death, okay? He died to set us free from that. So this year, we've been reading through scripture at a really fast pace. If, you're, if you've tr tried to go with this, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm wearing out. We're going to flip the script in January. We're going to do the opposite next year. We're going to devote the majority of next year to reading to the gospel of, through the gospel of John a little section at a time each week. And we're going to do it because we want to learn all about Jesus and who he is and how we can become like him. Now, I, I literally just watched some of you go, oh, thank you, right? We can do this. This is going to be so powerful for us. I want to go back to Hebrews 2.17. Look at what Herb writes. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. There's that word high priest again, in service to God so that he might make atonement. Everybody say atonement. atonement. Atonement for the sins of the people. The word atonement means payment for a wrong or an injury. What was a wrong or injury? It was my sin and your sin. And what was the payment? It was his perfect life. That's what atonement means. And in Hebrews 4.15, we learn why this idea of Jesus' death being our atonement is so critical to what we believe. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, there's that word again, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been, say it with me, tempted in every way. Just as we are and yet did not sin. I want to slow way, way, way down right now. It's easy for us to brush past this. Jesus never sinned. He was like us. He was tempted like us in every way. So growing up as a child and as a teenager, he never talked back to his parents. He never rebelled against God. And as an adult, Jesus never gave in to lust. He never pursued greed. He never acted out in hate. He never bowed up in pride. He did all the things that we can't do. Jesus, in his humanity, never even gave into the temptation to cheer for teams like Purdue, no matter how good they get. He didn't do it. I just wanted to see who's paying attention, okay? I just want to see, like, I'm happy for all you Purdue fans. I'm so glad. Happy, happy for you. But in his humanity, Jesus never sinned, you guys. He never sinned so that in spite of the pains and the sufferings and the temptations of this life, his death, this is so important, would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And as we learned earlier, sets us free from the fear of death. Amen? Amen? All right, you guys are getting better at this. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel, and it changes everything. 
And for this reason, it fuels our hope. It changes the way we live and the way we act and the way we respond and the way that we, we live and the way that we approach generosity. It changes everything. And those of us that, that follow Jesus, we nod along and we're like, yes, this is important. This is the basis of our faith. But I want to ask you a really important and probably an awkward question. How is that good news? How is it changing the way you are living your life and the way you think right now, today, in the midst of what you're facing? Now, remember, this letter was likely written to a group of people that were being severely persecuted and mistreated for their faith in Jesus. And apparently Herb knew they needed encouragement. And I think Herb knew that we needed encouragement too. So I want you to listen to what he says in Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us, this is so important, let us go through the, the motions of religious apathy. Let's do that. Let's just go to church and learn how to be a better version of ourselves, learn how to be good people. Is that what he says? Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, to the things that come out of our mouth and the way that we, what we say to be true. Now, this idea of faith is really important to the writer of Hebrews. The word faith is used almost 40 different times in 13 different chapters. And get this, the longest chapter in the book of Hebrews is chapter 11, and the word faith is used almost 25 different times. Bible geeks refer to the Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. It's all about faith. But here's a question. What is faith? How would you describe faith to someone? We had this conversation in our small group on Thursday night. And it's fascinating when you think about it. And we all, like the, the people started to share their answers. And it's, oh, faith is what you believe. And faith is based on like what you believe to be true, Right. Now, Tim Mackey, one of the teachers at the Bible Project, says this. And if you've ever seen a Bible Project video, you've heard Tim Mackey's voice. This is what he said. Faith, it, it's easy for us to hear the English word faith and tend to think of a mental activity that takes place inside of our heads. In other words, it's easy for us to assume that faith is what we believe to be true or possible in our minds because of the way that we've been raised or because of our experiences in life. But that is not how the author of Hebrews describes faith. Look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So faith must be based on a confidence in what has happened in the past and what we hope to have happen in the future. And it's an assurance of things that we can't see yet. But I recently learned, and I think this is pretty fascinating, the word confidence can be translated as substance. Say that word with me substance. And the word assurance can be translated as evidence. And so I want to insert, insert those words and let's read it again. Faith is the substance of things that we hope for and the evidence of things we do not see. Now, I love this because according to the writer of Hebrews, faith is more than a thought in our mind or a mental state that we work ourselves into. Faith has substance. It has an active side to it. Faith grabs hold of what is hoped for and it translates into a physical response. This is what Tim Mackey says. He says, Christian faith is always something that begins with reason. We think about it, but it's completed only by faithful action and obedience to God. And so I want you to think of faith like this. Maybe this helps. Faith is an experience that shapes what we believe to be true. And at the very same time, it fuels the way we live out our obedience. Faith is an experience that shapes what we believe to be true. 
shapes our thoughts, but at the very same time, it fuels the way we live out our obedience to God. Now, we were talking about this in our small group the other night. My friend Brenna, who I think is a theologian, she summarized faith just like this. She said, well, faith is living like what you believe is true. Faith is just living like what you believe is true. Guys, I wrote a whole message this week and couldn't make it that simple. That's as simple as it gets. Faith is living like what we believe is true. And if you keep reading through Hebrews 11, you discover that this is the point that Herb's trying to make. Look back at verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 11. Now faith is confidence or substance in what we hope for. And the assurance or the evidence of what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. Who are the ancients? Who are they? Well, if you read all of Hebrews 11, what you'll discover is the entire chapter is devoted to normal people, men and women, just like me and you that we're known for being the heroes of our faith. People like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and so many others. And you know why they're considered to be heroes of the faith? It wasn't because they were wealthy or smart or powerful. They have become known as heroes of the faith because their faith in God was not limited to what they believed or what they thought to be true. Their faith had substance. And their substance was activated into faithful obedience to God in spite of impossible situations and circumstances. And so if you jump to the end of Hebrews 11, this is what we read. These, all of those heroes of our faith, these were all commended for their faith. Listen to this, listen. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What is he talking about? What would God have promised to the ancient heroes of our faith that they did not get to see, but has been revealed to me and you? There's only one thing it could be. I hear you whispering it. God promised to send a Messiah. We nod because like, yeah, we know who that is, right? So I want you to, I want you to think about this. The people that lived before Jesus, before Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, they lived in a faith that God would keep that promise to send a Messiah. And that promise fueled their faith. It gave it substance and it resulted in their obedience and boldness for God. And for those of us that live after Jesus has been revealed as God Messiah, God's Messiah, our faith is fueled by the reality that we believe he was born as a baby. He lived and he died as a man. And by God's power, he was raised from the dead three days later, proving he is God's Messiah, God in the flesh. That's what fuels our faith. It's what gives us substance. It changes the way that we live. And Jesus should fuel the way we love people and the way that we live generously towards others. Now, there's some pretty cool ripple effects coming out of this generosity thing that we did this last week. So hang with me here. There's a lady that lives in Westfield. She is a teacher in Carmel, okay? She is friends with a lady that is a teacher in Noblesville at one of the schools that we adopted, this lady tells her friend that's a teacher in Carmel, you'll never believe what this church in Carmel and Noblesville did for us. This lady reaches out to Genesis Church and says, hey, I understand that your church helps people. My family needs help. Would you, would you help, be willing to help me? And so here's the story. This young lady, she's uh, single and in her 20s, mid to late 20s, okay? Earlier this year, she lives on her own. Earlier this year, her dad was in a near fatal accident lives locally, died on the table, they brought him back to life. He is disabled and he cannot work. So now his wife is trying to pay the bills and keep them afloat. This young lady 
is working to help her mom pay the bills and keep their family afloat. And this young lady says, I, if you help people, our family could use help. I'm not even talking about Christmas. I'm just talking about surviving. Here's what's cool. A few weeks ago, one of you came to me and said, if you ever get a request, I want you to come to me first. So I said, okay, I'm gonna make a phone call. I call and jumped into action. And not only that, one of your friends found out about it and you jumped into action. So when this young lady, she shows up at Genesis Church, she has no idea what she's getting ready to receive. She received enough money to help pay some bills and to help their family have Christmas. And here's what's really cool, you guys. They don't go to Genesis. They're not our people. This is what helping people find their way back to God looks like. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about sharing his generosity. That is a ripple. That's a really cool ripple effect. You know what that young lady told us? She said, when are your service times? I'm coming for Christmas. I, I want to know more of what you're about. Generosity is contagious. But if we do this right, it points people directly to Jesus. In this Christmas season, we celebrate God's generosity by sending his son, Jesus' generosity of leaving heaven to come here to live and experience all the mess of this life to die in our place. And so here's, here's our question. How do we respond? As followers of Jesus, how are we to respond in the way that we live? Herb tells us, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the people of the faith that have come before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Say that with me. The pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, he continues, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if you want to know how to have a life of faith with substance, here's what you do if you're writing this down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You look no further than Jesus. Now we nod, we know that. We have got to do that. I have got to die to my selfishness. It is not about me. It was Jesus didn't make it about him. He made it about us. This is what this looks like. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Now I also, bring that, bring that slide back up, Sam. I want you to notice this other thing. We've talked about this a couple of times. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Have you ever wondered like, what does that mean? What's that mean? And all throughout these passages that I've shared with you, the word high priest kept coming up over and over again. What's that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the high priest was responsible for offering all the sacrifices for God's people. And there was a saying that the high priest's work was never done. And here's why he would continually offer animal sacrifices, but those animal sacrifices were really just pitiful band-aids. It just reminded the people that your sin leads to death. Your sin leads to death. Your sin leads to death. You're going to die. Your sin leads to death. But throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as the greater and the more perfect, the perfect high priest. And here's why. Because as the high priest, he offered the perfect sacrifice, and it was his life. So when he sat down at the right hand of God, there's no more sacrificing to be done. How many of you have had a really long, challenging day of work and you walk through the house and you're like, I just want to sit down on the couch, right? You can raise your hand. Don't lie to me, right? We all want to go down. We just want to plop down. We're done. Our work is done. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, his work was finished. On the cross, he said, it is finished. 
Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. And victory is ours. Yes, that is what this means. So look at Hebrews 12, 3. This is how Herb wraps us up. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have a high priest that has shown us the way. He has done the work. You can't add to it. I can't take away from it. We rest in it. We live it out. Look, we're in the middle of a season. We keep saying we're in the middle of a season. We're not in the middle of a season. Guys, this isn't going away. COVID might go away, but scripture tells us life is going to get hard and hard, harder and harder and harder. It is not going away. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. This is how our faith has substance. There are people in our homes that are hurting. There are people on our streets that are hurting. There are people at work and in school and everywhere. Guys, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you are hurting? We're hurting. But what if this Christmas season, what if we stopped and said, Jesus, I'm hurting, but I'm so thankful you can relate to my pain. I can trust you. Would you give me faith with substance? Holy Spirit, would you give me faith with substance that doesn't just believe things? I live things out so that people are drawn to you. It's not about what we can do for him. It's what he does in and through us. That's the gospel at work so that we can make an impact. And even though we hurt and even though we feel crippled in our response, he can use that. That's what he did for all those ancients in Hebrews 11. What if we prayed that prayer? Would you give me faith with substance so that your name could be made great? If you are like me and you've been following Jesus for a while, I'm gonna tell you first, I need faith with substance. I'm tired of just believing things. I wanna walk it out. I wanna walk it out with all of you. And I wanna make such a ripple in our community for Jesus that people forget about Genesis and they're like, tell me more. Tell me more about him. If you're not yet following Jesus, I wanna invite you to surrender to him. Today is your opportunity. When you surrender to Jesus, you're saying, I have sinned against God and I need a way to be made right. I'm trusting in Jesus. And when you do that, your sins are forgiven. You were filled with the spirit of God. You were adopted into God's family and you are set free on a mission. And here's what's really cool. Look around. You're given a family to do this with. We are not alone. He is with us. We are not alone. We have one another. This is what we are called to. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our merciful and our faithful high priest. You are greater than we could ever imagine. You have done all the work for us. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. And we just want to say, be magnified in our life. Father, my prayer for me, my prayer for us, my prayer for your church around the world is that you would give us faith with substance, faith with legs, that we would live like what we believe is true. And that when we're afraid, we, 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 would, we would give our fear to you and you would empower us to do whatever you ask us to do next. We wouldn't do it for our own righteousness. We would do it because you are righteous in our place. God, I pray for my friends that are hurting. That's real hurt. Jesus, you can relate to that hurt. You understand and you know hurt. We praise you. We thank you. Would you meet us in our areas of hurt? Would you give us strength that can only come from you? And would you help us as we sing Christmas carols and do all the Christmas things to make it all about you, our God, who is God in the flesh. 
Jesus, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray.